Welcome to Season 7 of Scrub Chat, a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Kim Farina, a veterinarian and a writer, and I've worked in the animal healthcare industry. And prior to that, I was an MTV journalist and a radio personality. So yes, my career has taken me in lots of different directions. Speaking of directions, in each episode of Scrub Chat, I sit down and chat with a guest so they can share their different directions and journeys. We'll explore veterinary medicine and how it fits with all other aspects of our lives. One last thing. Thank you, Zoetis. Zoetis has generously created these podcasts to help support the veterinary profession. Today, I have the opportunity to chat with Joe DeFulio, a certified veterinary technician who describes himself as, quote, a motivated and experienced veterinary healthcare leader. And I have to say, after doing all my research, I couldn't agree with that more. Welcome to Scrub Chat, Joe. Thanks so much for having me, Kim. (laughs) So let's start off with why did you want to become a veterinary technician in the first place? Interesting question. I actually never envisioned myself going into veterinary medicine. Um, My childhood dream was always to be a teacher. I wanted to be a high school teacher in either math or science. And the only experience that I ever had at a veterinary hospital was bringing my pets to the vet. And, you know, as we all do, I thought it was puppies and kittens. And, you know, I never thought much more about it. And then as I progressed through high school, ultimately, I needed some volunteer hours for the honor society that I was a part of. And I was trying to think and brainstorm with my parents of, where am I going to get these hours from? And ultimately, my mom suggested the local veterinary hospital. And at that time, I was probably about 15 and trying to find an opportunity shadowing below 16 years of age um, was a bit of a challenge. But I eventually found one and I spent my weekends there shadowing. They allowed me to do the technician assistant work. So cleaning cages and doing laundry and kind of the basic but important duties of a veterinary hospital. And as I continued volunteering, I started to see things around me. I saw the medical care that was being provided, and it really intrigued me. So from there, they offered me ultimately a position as a kennel technician. And they wanted me to work every Saturday and every Sunday from 8 in the morning until 8 at night. And I was still in high school. My parents thought I was a little bit crazy because I was going to spend all week in school and then all weekend um, working at the veterinary hospital. Ultimately, I did that and I stayed working in the kennels for about a year or so. And then that's when you know I started getting even more intrigued by the medical stuff that was happening around me. Every time that a veterinary technician would come back to the kennel and we're doing a medical procedure, I would go over to the cage and be standing over their shoulder and trying to understand what they were doing and why they were doing it. And eventually they asked if I had an interest in growing with the practice. And of course, I said yes. And in the back of my mind this entire time, I'm still thinking, this is great. I'm going to get this experience. And then maybe it'll help me when I go into being some sort of teacher. At that time, I was thinking a science teacher. So they trained me on the job to become a veterinary assistant. And I started to do more hands-on things. I was restraining patients. I was helping with uh, blood draws. And I continued growing and growing and eventually moved into the general practice aspect. So assisting with wellness appointments and sick appointments And the unique aspect about this practice is it wasn't only dogs and cats. They also saw exotic animals and wildlife as well. So I was getting exposure to all different species. And, you know, I continued growing in that practice and I stayed there for a while. And ultimately, my high school career was coming to an end and I had to decide what I wanted to do next. Through that experience, I 
thought about becoming a veterinarian and I actually started at school to become a veterinarian. And long story short, my career took a bit of a different path. And I decided after gaining exposure to what veterinary technicians do, that becoming a veterinarian wasn't actually my passion. It was more of the technical side of things. So from there, I did become credentialed in 2013 and stayed at that same practice where I was a kennel assistant and a veterinary assistant and became a credentialed technician. That's kind of the journey of how I got into veterinary medicine. Again, never thought I'd be in this profession, but super happy that I decided to make the the change. Excellent. And now you're currently Vice President of Clinical Services at MedVet Medical and Cancer Centers for Pets. And that's a significant leadership role. So first, let's talk about like, what do you do every day? Yeah, so each day varies quite a bit for me, but ultimately I'm based in Columbus, Ohio, and my primary responsibility is supporting the leaders in my region. So each of our hospitals has a hospital director and they report directly to me. So it's a lot of leadership development. It's a lot of coaching and mentoring, providing support to the hospitals in whatever way they may need that. One of my favorite parts of my job is actually being able to get out and go to the hospitals and visit with the team and see the patients. You know, there's other aspects that are more business related. So looking at things like budgets and forecasts and the more business related aspects of the role. So it's a nice mix for me. I still get that clinical component of being in the hospital and being with the team, but also more of that financial acumen and the business side as well. But, you know, you were just talking about that you you realize you had that passion for the technical side of veterinary medicine. Do you feel like you still can get that in this role? You get into the hospital and so forth and you see the patients, but do you really still get that joy? I do. Well, I guess that's a complicated question. I get the joy of seeing other uh, technicians perform the duties of the role. You know, I, I don't do much clinical work any longer. Once in a while, I'll be tapped if I'm on the floor and they know it's going to be like an easy IV catheter placement. They'll ask me if I want to if I want to do it. And that kind of lights up my day. It was a really challenging decision, candidly, to make the leap from coming off of the clinic floor to being in a more leadership capacity. And I thought long and hard about, do I really want to leave the clinical component of the work? Because that is really what drew me into the profession. And there was a pivotal point in my career where there was essentially a fork in the road and I had to decide. Do I want to take the clinical route and continue excelling and growing as a technician? And, you know, I thought about becoming a veterinary technician specialist as well. Or do I want to take the other path and become more of a leader within the the organization? And it took me a long time to decide. And then, you know, there was one point where I thought I can do both. I can continue down the clinical path, become a VTS and also do leadership. And I found that by doing that, I was kind of becoming the jack of all trades and really master of none. So I ultimately decided to go down the leadership path. I do still get to do clinical things every now and again. It's not anything advanced. It's pretty basic stuff. It helps to connect me with the team. They enjoy seeing it. But I also enjoy being out on the floor and seeing the talented assistants and technicians and VTSs that are performing the skills. Even if it's not me directly performing care or providing care, being able to witness that happening in a collaborative environment, that also fills my bucket. Excellent. So let's talk more about that pivot, that part in your life that you were just like, should I go this way or that way? What was happening? So at my prior practice, you know, I never intended to get into leadership either. You know, I thought veterinary medicine would never happen. I thought leadership would never happen. And here I am doing both. I started working in emergency and critical care because that was ultimately my clinical passion. And it was an overnight one night, one of the doctors came up and said, we need somebody to build the team schedule. Are you interested in, in pursuing that? 
me being incredibly naive and not knowing really what was involved with that process, I said, absolutely, <laughs> I'll start making the schedule for a 24-hour hospital. It was like a puzzle where there is always a piece missing, but I was up for the challenge. And that really got me thinking about what leadership could look like. And from there, they opened up a supervisory position and asked if I'd be interested in taking that first leap into leadership. At that point, it was a great balance because I could be clinical, but also be a leader on the floor. So it exposed me really to both. And then I continued and became um, the nursing manager. And in that role, there was still a pretty heavy component clinically, but the administrative side was getting larger. And I continued to move through the ranks of that practice and became the practice manager, where it was much more heavy on the administrative side and less on the clinical side. So I think the slow transition certainly helped. And when I took my initial position with MedVet, which was the hospital director of the Cincinnati location, I went into it with this big ambition that I was going to continue to maintain my clinical skills. Because for me, I struggled. I had worked my entire career to become a great technician, and I didn't want that knowledge to just slip away. So I went into it thinking, I'm going to work you know, a couple Saturdays a month doing clinical work. And I slowly realized between the day-to-day duties of my normal job, trying to balance that effectively with my personal life, it just wasn't feasible to continue, or to try anyway, working clinically and doing the full-time hospital director position. So it was at that point that I really thought about which direction do I want to go and what really fills my bucket and brings me compassion, satisfaction at work. So I took the leap and went down the leadership path. And honestly, I've not looked back since. I miss the clinical work still to this day. But again, being able to see the team members in the hospitals performing it, it fills my bucket a lot. Yeah. So it sounds like, okay, you can miss that part, but the rest of it, you, you love so much. You know, building a team, growing a team, developing teams, you know, managing change, managing financials, you know, to some people that might listen, they say, wow, that doesn't sound intriguing at all. But for me, it, it is. And it's that nice balance of my office is still in a veterinary hospital. So I can easily walk down the hallway. I'm right down the hall from the anesthesia department. So when I feel like I need that presence of animals or technicians in my life, I walk down the hallway and I circle around the anesthesia department, see what's happening, walking down to the ER, live vicariously a little bit through the technicians that are working with the the trauma cases or whatever that may be. So there's still opportunity for that experience. But I will say my full-time role as the VP of clinical services, it does bring me a lot of satisfaction growing and leading a team. Yeah, it sounds like it. Oh my gosh, just and I can see the glow in your face too. It's it's incredible. And, you know, as we talk about, you know, working your way up and you talked about, you know, being a hospital director in Cincinnati, I think it's important um, if you can give me and listeners um, advice on how to move up that ladder in corporate veterinary medicine. I mean, you described your own personal experience, but but kind of looking back, like what advice would you give to someone who's like, hey, I might want to do that? I would say to dip your toe in it, I think finding roles like supervisory roles that, you know, they've got that good mix of clinical and leadership responsibilities. It's a good way to identify, is leadership really the right path for you? Or are you more content doing clinical work? And one of my pet peeves is when people say, I just want to be a technician, or I want to be just a technician. You're not just a technician. And leadership, we've got to come to the realization in the profession, leadership isn't for everyone either. And I think the trap that we fall into sometimes in veterinary medicine is we take our best, most skilled technician and we place them in a leadership role that sometimes they have no desire to be in. And it doesn't bring them great job satisfaction. It ultimately impacts the team and the broader hospital. 
So I think starting with a supervisory position, going to conferences and sitting in CE sessions that are about leadership. You know, IVEX is one of my favorite conferences and they've got a great practice leadership track. Expose yourself to the topics and the content that you're likely to encounter as a leader and try to understand, does this really bring you joy and fulfillment? And if the answer is no, maybe it's not the right path for you. But remembering that you can still continue to grow on the clinical side, right? If you're a veterinary assistant, you can become a credential technician or become a VTS. So there, there are growth paths on both sides. And I think we've got to recognize not everyone can become a VTS and not everyone wants to be a leader of a practice either. It's really what fits best for the individual. Joe, I love how excited you are when you talk about your job. And I think it's just wonderful. One thing I want to ask you, though, is with so many veterinary technicians and veterinarians leaving clinical practice, I definitely think you're evidence that there's so many wonderful reasons to stay in clinical practice, you know, stay in this this landscape. What reasons have kept you staying here? That's a great question. And, you know, candidly, at one point in my career, there was a time where I thought that veterinary medicine was no longer the right place for me. I didn't feel like I fit any longer. I felt burned out. I didn't feel a lot of compassion, satisfaction. And I thought long and hard, similar to the path of clinical versus leadership, is veterinary medicine still the right fit for me? And ultimately, when I self-reflected, I realized how much joy and what impact I had on clients, on their pets, on my colleagues. And what I recognized at that point is perhaps the practice that I was at was not the right fit for me any longer. And it wasn't the profession. It was where I was doing the work. And that's when I made the difficult decision to, you know, at that time, it was a difficult decision to depart from that practice and join MedVet. In hindsight, it was probably one of the best decisions that I've made in my career because it completely re-engaged me in the profession. And I quickly recognized that I can still have an impact. I can recover from what I was going through at that practice and still be a great technician, still be a great leader. And what has really helped to keep me in the profession, of course, we've got the happy stories of, you know, the clients that we take care of and the patients that have great success stories. But we know that's not everything that we deal with. We also have stories and outcomes that are less than ideal that we would prefer would end differently. But for me, a big component is really the colleagues that I built across the profession. I communicate with my friends. They're now friends. They started off as colleagues. We all met at veterinary conferences across the country. And you essentially build a group of people around you that can pick you up when you're down. And that's what we do. And, you know, there are a couple of key individuals. They know who they are. And we talk every single day. We've got a a chat group. We go in there. Some days we need to vent about how hard veterinary medicine is or the challenges that we're experiencing that week. But the fact of the matter is, one of us is there to pick the other one up and to help encouraging us to continue moving forward. Some days, you know, we may not all be in a great place, but I think it's about surrounding yourself with that support system to encourage you to keep moving. Because the reality is, we are in a great profession. We do achieve great things. Sometimes you really have to pause, elevate up, and really understand the impact that you're having on people, on pets. And for me, that really invigorated me to stay in the profession. I, at this point in my career, I truly can't imagine leaving clinical practice. I'm a little bit further, of course, removed from the clinic floor today, but I'm still engaged in the practice. It still brings me a lot of joy. And I attribute a lot of my success and a lot of my job fulfillment and truly the reason why I'm still in clinical practice. A, I've got a passion for it, but also B, the community that I've built around me. And so talking about that community, 
did corporate veterinary medicine provide a lot of the support that you were looking for? Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because a lot of times people are like, oh, corporate veterinary medicine, but it sounds like this was perfect for you. It was. And I think corporations have kind of a bad name. And, you know, I, I am not here to say which ones are great and which ones are not, because I think they've all got their pros and cons. And I think you've got to find really the one that works best for you. What I enjoy about MedVet and the support that they build around me is oftentimes in this profession, we see leaders that are put into positions, but they don't receive any tools or resources or training, mentorship, any of that to really be successful. And what MedVet provided me with is, you know, probably a year after I joined or somewhere around there, they put me through this program called Leadership in Action. And it was a program, uh, I think it was about three days where I was surrounded by my peers and all the other directors and VPs across the organization. And we were immersed in core or key leadership concepts, change management, communication. There were a, a slew of topics that were covered and I, they really invested in my growth and my development which I think is incredibly important because if you're not set up for success, you're only going to perform at the level that you're familiar with and you're comfortable with. MedVet has pushed me outside of my comfort zone. They have developed me. You know, we get continuing education allowance. And I think it's great that they offer that benefit. Me as an employee, I've got to take advantage of it and truly use it. And I do. I go to CE every year and try to continue growing and developing myself. Beyond that, I, you know, there is a great support system that this organization I'm a veterinary technician. That's that's what I grew up doing, right? I'm not an IT professional. I'm not an operations professional, but I'm surrounded by a community of support at MedVet where if something IT related breaks, I know that we've got a subject matter expert that can lean in and support me on that. It's not my job to be kind of the jack of all trades from that regard. So I think one of the keys for me that MedVet has really delivered on is development. They've got clear career mapping. And they deliver on that. We prefer to promote from within and we we grow our team. And that's exactly what they've done to me is help to support my development and my growth. And that's the support that you can benefit from in a larger organization, whereas an individual practice, sometimes it's a little bit more challenging to tap into some of those resources. Right, right. And I understand you're the executive sponsor of two networks at MedVet, the Black Employee Network and the LGBTQ Employee Network. So it's... It looks like you're not only a leader from a clinical perspective, but also from a well-being and, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion perspective. So, Joe, I imagine your plate is quite full. So why take on these roles as well? Oh, goodness. Diversity, equity, and inclusion, it is something that I did not know that I had this strong of a passion for until probably a couple of years ago. Our profession, as you probably know, is predominantly white. Um, It's predominantly female. And we don't have a lot of great diversity. And I think that there's opportunity to make our profession more inclusive and make those that are in the profession feel like a sense of belonging and a sense of community. At my organization currently, the opportunity arose, we're going to start employee networks. And it was really our first kind of journey into executing on some DEI strategies. And they asked me, are you interested in leading the LGBTQ plus employee network? It's the first one in the organization. It was launched alongside of our Black Employee Network. And at that time, I didn't really know what it was going to entail, but I knew that I had a passion for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I, I want to be a part of the change that I want to see in the profession. I think it's very easy to get trapped in that mindset of, 
well, veterinary medicine is not diverse or it's not this or it's not that and to complain about it. But I think taking that energy and putting it back into solutioning is really important. So that's what I thought I was going to do by leading these networks. So probably eight to 10 months into leading the LGBTQ plus employee network, they asked me if I would be interested in taking over the black employee network um, because the other network was going incredibly well. They were both going really well, but they could feel my passion. And I said, absolutely. And, you know, we've now got, it's December, so our first full year under our belt of employee networks. And when I tell you that they've been so meaningful and impactful to me personally, but also to the caregivers within our organization, to hear comments like, I feel like I have a sense of belonging in a community that I fit into and that I can be my genuine self. I mean, that makes, I will work all day long if it means building that sense of community for our team. So I can't say enough great things about the network. And, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly glad that they asked me to lead these efforts. And I think we can make meaningful change by taking action like this in the profession. That's fantastic. Now, you're also a managing partner for East Coast Veterinary Education, where you provide leadership and clinical consultative services to veterinary hospitals. So tell us more about how you got to co-own the company or, you know, what was the purpose behind it and so forth? So one of my former colleagues and actually one of my best friends, my best friend, um, we were working at the same practice prior to where I am today. And we were both probably close to departing from that practice. And we were thinking about the state of the profession and how could we impact it? And, you know, was there a venture that we could go on together to continue essentially working together? And, you know, it was a kind of a spur of the moment idea. We thought, why don't we start some kind of consulting service? We could do relief work. We could provide leadership and consultations. She's a double boarded veterinary technician specialist. So clinical practice is all her and she's a subject matter expert in that area. So we were thinking I could bring the leadership component. She could bring the clinical component and together we would be able to provide resources to practices. I would say it's been a bit more challenging to get that highly functional as a business. You know, it's hard to fit that in with everything else. Just quite honestly, I wish I had a little bit more time to devote to it. Liza does great work with that. My goal in 2023 is to invest a little bit more time into it and try to provide more consultative services. I think, you know, probably relief work at this point is out of the question for me. I'm not sure that I I have the time for that. Um, But I do think given my passion for DEI and for leadership, I think that could be valuable to add uh, to other practices. Yeah, because I think for a lot of practices, they want to embrace DEI, they want to be part of the change, but they just don't know how, like, how, how do you even do this? Where do I start? There's so much information out there, but it's like, I kind of need a roadmap. So it sounds like you, you would be a perfect help for so many practices. Absolutely. And I think one of the pieces there is there's always this risk of making a mistake or saying the wrong thing when you're thinking about DEI and you know, the reality of the matter is I, in the past year, since we've been running these networks, I've said the wrong thing. I've made mistakes. And what's most important is that you learn from them and don't make the same mistake. And that's how we all continue getting better. So it's, it's a journey. I think we've got a lot of work to do from a DEI perspective in our profession and frankly, in our society, but I'd be more than happy to share that knowledge with other practices. Yeah. So you have a particular interest in emergency and critical care medicine. And 
Some of your favorite aspects are, you know, CPR, trauma, and toxicities. Are there any stories you want to share with us from the trenches? There is one story that it has stuck with me since I started an emergency practice. And it was right after I transitioned to a 24-hour emergency hospital. I remember seeing this dog. He had experienced some trauma. He was not in great shape. And, you know, the prognosis initially was pretty poor. And it was my first real critical care case when in joining ECC and coming from the general practice where we saw emergencies, but it wasn't anything like a true emergency hospital. And I remember that day, the feeling that I got of, it was really overwhelming sadness that, wow, this, this dog may not make it. But after seeing the critical care nursing that we provided to that patient, you know, it was my first experience with um, central lines and advanced nursing procedures like that. And I will never forget, I have a picture of it somewhere, the patient upon presentation, and then the patient walking out of the treatment room. And it's kind of your stereotypical cliche thought, but the clients were on the other side. And to see that dog leaving the practice, it walked out, it was happy, it was wagging its tail. That for me, reinforced that I was doing the right thing. I found my my passion, which was emergency and critical care. And that story sticks to me. And you know, when I would have hard days in the emergency room, I would think back to that moment of this is this is why I do it. So I I will never forget that day. I will never forget that pet. It was a brown pit bull, um, and you know he has ultimately shaped why I'm still here as well. Yeah. Oh, Joe. I think I think those stories are really important to have in your pocket. I mean, not only the experience, but just to draw from when you're having a down day. I know I, I've feel the same way. I have those special pets that will always stay with me. You know, I, I'm going to be 80, you know, I'll be 80 years old and I'll, I'll still remember, you know, Cosmo and Bo and everybody else because they, you know, that's where you can draw some strength from. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one piece of advice is I know that it's hard. The work that we do is hard and it's easy to get stuck in those moments of feeling like you're not making a difference or, you know, questioning how useful you are within the practice. And I think you're exactly right. It's about pulling those moments out and recognizing I am having an impact. I'm having a positive impact on clients, patients, and my colleagues. And again, I think I tie it back to having that sense of community around you and knowing that you're making an impact on them as well. Yeah. So you're a Recover Certified Instructor. Um, Can you walk us through what Recover is and why you became certified? Yeah, recovery is one of my passions as well. I've got a lot of passions. I yeah, think. you have a um, lot of passions, Joe. <laughs> I get really excited about a lot of things and recovery happens to be one of them as well. Um, so recovery came out in 2012 and it stands for the reassessment campaign on veterinary resuscitation. And believe it or not, it's the first set of consensus guidelines for uh, CPR in dogs and cats. Um, surprisingly, it, it didn't come out until 2012. It's still shocking to me, but I also can't believe that we're now more than 10 years later. Um, So essentially, I developed a passion for CPR as I was working in emergency medicine. And, you know, it's something that we performed quite often, although the success rate is less than what you see on TV, of course. But I thought that working in emergency practice, it should be something that I should become an expert in because it's going to be a skill that I perform regularly. So at that time, the construct of the program was a little bit different than what it is today. But Liza and I, who co-owns East Coast Veterinary Education with me. We went to IVEX. We went through a lab after we did some online course content. And we got certified in basic life support and advanced life support. And 
at that point, you could become a rescuer or an instructor. So a rescuer is essentially you're certified in basic and light and advanced life support. But we wanted to take it to the next level and become instructors so that we could certify others in basic and advanced life support. And what we found over the past several years is despite Recover having been out since 2012, it's still not incredibly widely known about. And those consensus guidelines are not being applied consistently across the profession. So CPR is something that Liza and I both very much enjoy talking about and teaching. And, you know, whether you work in general practice, emergency, specialty only, CPR applies across all the different disciplines, which I think makes it so applicable to really every veterinary healthcare team member. If someone is passionate about emergency medicine, then do you recommend then, say, becoming a specialist, a veterinary technician specialist, maybe in emergency and critical care, or recover certified, or both, or some other combination? Like what, if you have this passion for that area of veterinary medicine, what do you recommend doing? That's a great question. And I think there's a lot of different steps that you can take. If you're a veterinary assistant, I think becoming a credentialed veterinary technician would be the first step for you. If you do that and you really, you know that emergency critical care is your passion and it, it gets you excited when you go into work most days and you want to become that next level subject matter expert. I do believe becoming a veterinary technician specialist in emergency critical care is the next, the best next step for you. I think that can be done in conjunction with becoming a recover certified instructor or rescuer, whichever you prefer. But I think doing the two together would be amazing. The VTS process, you know, it's, it's a long strenuous process. I've never been through it myself, but I do have a lot of friends and colleagues that are VTSs and it really tests your abilities and makes you a subject matter expert. So it's not easy. A lot of it, you do have to be really self-motivated to want to complete and pursue that process. But on the other end, you know, you come out a much stronger technician. So if ECC is the place where you want to be, I would say absolutely VTS and becoming a recover certified instructor or rescuer. Well, we're just about out of time. And Joe, you're so passionate. I love it. Are there any last words of advice or wisdom you'd like to share with us? The piece of advice that I always share and try to take myself is don't let the risk of failure stop you from trying. And it's so important. I think a lot of times in this profession and really in the world, we don't pursue opportunities. We don't pursue promotions because we're worried about the risk of failing or being less successful in a new role. And the reality is, unless you take that risk, you're never going to know. So I always say, take the risk. Don't be scared of failure. Just be willing to learn and adapt along the way. And ultimately, that's the advice that I try to live by and what has helped me to get where I am in my career today. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. This wraps up another episode of Scrub Chat, a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at scrubchat at zoetis.com. And please don't forget to share and review this podcast so that we can produce more in the future. We are grateful to Zoetis for the support. I'm Dr. Kim Farina. I'll meet you back here next time. This is Scrub Chat.